Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to take a look at the fact that the Sun and Pluto are conjoining with one another as both planets enter the sign of Aquarius. Coming up this weekend between Friday and Sunday, we're going to be experiencing this. You know what makes this really unique is that the Sun and Pluto are going to conjoin, I kid you not, at the 29th degree of Capricorn and the 59th minute. That is the very last degree and the very last minute of Capricorn. That conjunction between the Sun and Pluto is happening as the Sun then instantly moves into Aquarius and Pluto follows. We've been talking all week about the fact that there is a confluence of astrological energies and aspects coming through all at once this weekend that make for an exciting transition of Pluto into Aquarius. We've talked about Venus's square to Neptune. Uh, we've also talked about the fact that Mercury will be trining Jupiter. Uh, this one is another really important factor, the sun's conjunction to Pluto. So we're going to look at this in a bit of a vacuum today, and then we'll be sure to, um, we're going to take a look at Mercury and Jupiter as well, uh, probably tomorrow. Um, and then we'll be sort of saying more about the confluence of all of these events um, through the lens of Pluto's entrance into Aquarius um, at the end of the week. So a really big week astrologically, 2024 is off to a huge start. This is one of the biggest transit uh, transits of the year surrounded by a number of really interesting contextual uh, transits that give it deeper meaning. So it's our job this week to unpack it. Anyway, before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments and reflections. Love to hear from you guys. You can find transcripts of any of my daily talks, including today's on the website nightlightastrology.com. When you go over to nightlightastrology.com right now, you can check out the courses page. Under the courses tab, you'll find the third year program, which is uh, a class on counseling astrology. Uh, this is a course that started last week. It's not too late to join. Uh, you will find the masterclass series that begins this Friday, our first class of four on the fixed stars for our winter masterclass series. And then you can see all of the other masterclass series if you'd like to join that group. We also have Roots and Spheres, our monthly moon circle that started last week under the new moon in Capricorn. It is not too late to join in on that either. So look at those courses, check them out, and be sure to check out the need-based tuition option if you need a little help. Make sure you don't push yourself outside of your means to, to study astrology. Um, and uh, if you have any questions about our programs, email us info at nightlightastrology.com. Okay, so uh, let's take a look at this on the real-time clock. We have a, a very powerful... Sun Jupiter, or excuse me, Sun Jupiter, Sun Pluto conjunction that's taking place. And um, I'm going to look at it from the standpoint of, let's see my epic pen. Here we go. So here is the epic pen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here is the Sun and Pluto conjunct at 2959. That is the last degree and the last minute of the last degree of Capricorn. This is happening early Saturday morning, January 20th, but you will be feeling it, especially the 19th, the 20th, and then the 21st as both planets are moving into Aquarius. And honestly, you should probably be feeling this this whole week and next week for sure. And Pluto's entrance into Aquarius is really one of the biggest stories of the year. So you're going to be feeling that entrance all year because when Pluto changes signs it changes whole sign houses in ancient astrology we looked at the birth chart through the lens of what are called whole sign houses one sign one house and because of that when a planet changes signs it activates a whole new set of topics which you can usually feel quite vividly the first year or two that the planet enters the house you'll see the uh, kind of the introduction of a new set of themes that become 
the focus for our lives in terms of the kind of Plutonian process of transformation. I'm going to say more about Pluto's transformation because it's one of those words we used often without thinking about it enough. And it's important to think and rethink, think and rethink all of the words and ideas that we use as we uh, develop in our study of astrology, because that's what keeps things fresh. And the more the fr the more that things are fresh in our mind and our vocabulary, the easier it is to have a living connection with the planets and to see them as relational beings that we can actually engage with. Uh, one of the things that keeps us from that is when our understandings of the planets get stagnant or kind of static in the same old words and descriptions. So I'm going to tell you a story today that hopefully will make that word transformation come alive a little bit more. But anyway, powerful combination of events, sun conjoining Pluto as it ingresses into Aquarius. What does that mean really, right? Okay, so I just, what I wrote down today are five sun Pluto conjunction notes for us to consider today. We're going to be taking one more look at this later in the week. So this is not the final word. And again, I think we've got lots more to say about Pluto into Aquarius, not only right now, but as the year unfolds. And as we see, go back into Capricorn one last time uh, from September to November and uh, then re-enter Aquarius. We're, we're, you know, we get, we're, we're fortunate to be able to see it go back into that last degree of Capricorn because it really helps us understand the power of an ingress. It really helps us understand the power of that anoretic critical last degree or the last couple of degrees of a sign, typically where the malefics are the bound rulers. So it, it's a it's a really nice period for us to study astrology because you can see some things that you won't otherwise see from fast moving planets, a slow moving planet ingressing and then sitting at a critical degree, ingressing and sitting at a critical degree really gives you a picture of of those spaces in the zodiac and can help you deepen your understanding of them, which is a gift because most of us are work often we work in the abstract with theoretical notions until we actually experience them in astrology. So it's always nice when that happens. Anyway, what kinds of things happen when the sun conjoins Pluto? Well, one of the first things that happens is the word transformation. Now, transformation, I mean, one of the, there's, a number of reasons that this word is kind of a throwaway word. One, transformation is constant. It's like Heraclitus said, you can't step in the same river twice. So in a sense, um, transformation is something that it, you, as soon as you hear the word, you can instantly take it for granted and you can instantly find it redundant and sort of meaningless because life is change. Change is constant. Um, we all experience that, even those of us who live with daily habits and patterns that are pretty unchanging, a nine to five job you've been at for ages, kids you've been raising for a decade, a marriage you've been in for a long time, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of element. There are many elements in our lives that are sort of consistent and repetitive. However, people who are into astrology, probably more than others, are noticing change, right? Change is happening all the time. Subtle change, psychic change, emotional change, environmental change, relational change, changes that changes in your interests, changes at work, changes in your values, changes in your beliefs, changes in your states of consciousness. And so what good is the word transformation? It's really um, a word that is appropriate for Pluto, but it's appropriate for Uranus. It's appropriate for Neptune. All of these planets bring certain kinds of changes kinds of transformation. Pluto does not have the market cornered on the word transformation, which is why we should do more to describe what kinds of transformation Pluto brings. So I'm going to tell you a story that is one of the best stories I know about what kinds of what a Plutonian transformation. So um, I was in Costa Rica. This was before 
my wife and I were married, we were living together and dating and, you know, an, an item or whatever, but we weren't yet married. We didn't have kids. And we owned our yoga studio together in DC. Uh, and um, uh, so anyway, we're in Costa Rica. Uh, we took like a, a trip down there to a little community called uh, Nosara. And uh, it's a pretty cool spot. There's some really good yoga there. There's surfing. It was a really pretty neat little village area or city. I don't know what you call it. It was more like a village. Anyway, so we were there and there was a 7.6 earthquake, the Richter scale, 7.6 on the Richter scale. I think that's how it's called. Uh, Anyway, um, that was one of the most terrifying events of my life. And it was a Plutonian event. There was a a powerful Pluto aspect happening at that time. So now set aside my own experience, I want to describe something that I saw happen to somebody else. What happened was every day we would walk down the street from the place we were staying. Um, And I have to tell you, by the way, the place we were staying was there was someone who had read my book um, about ayahuasca and recovery from drug addiction through the use of ayahuasca, which is a lot of what my book was about. And they had ended up going to South America and doing some ayahuasca and uh, becoming sober from uh, alcoholism and getting into 12 step and really turning their life around. And they contacted me through the internet and we started up a conversation and, you know, it was kind of cool. It was cool to see, like, this was one of the first people that I ever realized, like my book had like that kind of impact on. Um, and they, they reached out and said, if you ever want to go to Costa Rica, I've got a little place down there. Me and some friends got together like a little bungalow type of spot and, uh, you could use it. So that's why we went. Cause we had a free place to stay from this guy. And it was, I mean, it was just amazing. Cause you know, we were, we were pretty poor. We couldn't, it wasn't like we could really afford going down and getting a place to stay for a long. So we were anyway, this was, this is how it had come into, um, my sphere by the way, during a Pluto transit. So uh, at any rate, um, we're there in this little bungalow and we're walking down the street uh, to this little shop to get food every day. And we'd just like get our food for the day and bring it back to our place or whatever. And the shopkeeper looked stuck. I don't know how else to put it. It's just there was just this like very stagnant, frustrated, stubborn, stuck kind of energy, maybe angry, maybe sad. I don't, I couldn't tell just like stuck and I'll just never forget it. So anyway, here comes this earthquake. It is, I I literally saw the ground moving like jello. It was like vibe. It was like rolling. It, I've, I've never seen anything like it. It was one of the most terrifying natural things I've ever seen from just like mother nature. Anyway, we walk down the street and we go into uh, afterward where, you know, just, I just, we walk down the street to check and make sure like no one was injured or whatever. And, um, the shop right down the street was devastated. I mean, the building was mostly okay. There were some big cracks in the building and stuff like that, but like the inside of the shop looked like a, you know, like a tornado went off. Everything had fallen and, you know, was shattered and, I mean, the shop was totally trashed and the inventory was a lot of it was smoked, you know, just gone. And the shopkeeper was standing out there. And I, I'm telling you, it was like that shopkeeper was wide awake. Like whatever that kind of stuck, eh, just that kind of like, I don't know, stuck with the heels in the mud kind of energy. It just was gone. And the most vivid, awake look was on their face. And I'm not kidding when I say this. I know, I don't know because I don't know the inner workings of this person. So maybe I'm totally off, but they 
They looked like whatever had happened had shook them out of a deep sleep. An unconscious, stuck place was gone. And I'm serious. They were talking. They were animated. They were excited. They, they were obviously like, oh, my God, look at the shop. But I'll never forget just being like that person's consciousness just like did a 180. That's Pluto. That's one instance of Pluto where this volcanic power comes surging up. And as it comes up and out, it sometimes breaks things or shakes things. It releases such powerful creative energy that it services a complete breakthrough or transformation of consciousness or circumstance. But as it does so, it knocks everything off the shelf. Now, there's some, I would say that you could make some interesting connections, oh, by the way, to this exact scenario and the planet Uranus, which, by the way, was starting to configure itself to Pluto at the time. So I don't want to um, like suggest that there's only one way, only one planet through which you could view what I'm describing. But Pluto was there insofar as the, when Pluto comes forth, ultimately, Pluto is a rich powerful, libidinal, unconscious, instinctual, primal energy. And it's just, it just comes ripping out of us. Like it's not to be, it, it is not easily contained. It is, uh, it is more like the wildness of a horse, right? And you always see these movies like the man from snowy river. When I was a kid, that was a big movie, whatever, all these movies where it's like, okay, there's a wild horse, you know, what do we do with it? And the wise, the wise ranchers always like, they don't want to break its spirit, but we want to like learn, you know, I got to bond with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's the guy, right? <laughs> so he's like, okay, you know, like, I don't want to like take away its wildness, but I also want to bond with it to the extent that it'll let me ride it. That's sort of what Pluto's like. It's this wild, natural energy. And it's the energy that's behind creativity and cre creation uh, as well as death and destruction in the material universe. And it's, it, it is so powerful, you know, and I think a lot of the feminine creative destroyer kind of dyads in say Indian mythology, but when it comes out, it awakens and it frees up creative energy. But in order to do so, it, it also has to, it, it's a little destructive in the way that it expresses itself. So anyway, this is the way that I would describe at least one way of describing Plutonian transformation. It's very important to qualify what kind of transformation. Uh, there's, like I said, there's some resemblance in the story I just shared with Uranus too, I believe. Um, there were alarms going off and we had to take a car to high ground because there was a tsunami warning. That day, though, for me, there was a release of creative energy that was extremely powerful, palpable, and generative. A lot of ideas came from that experience. I will tell you that. A lot of, a lot of, like, I didn't know the power of Mother Earth until I was in that experience, honestly. Like, I had a conceptual idea about it, you know? Pluto puts us in touch with that kind of power and instinct. You know, it's like, if you've ever seen a dog take off after a deer and you're like walking the dog or something, you know, and all of a sudden your deer, you know, your dog sees an animal and it goes into hunt mode and then it's just gone. And you're like, whoa, that's like my pet. And now my, you're like, my pet has turned into a predator. <laughs> 
I'm not saying that we're, <laughs> I'm not saying that Pluto is going to turn us into predators, but it's kind of like that where all of a sudden you just see this release of instinctual natural power and you're like, who's going to, you know, that, that not sure that can be tamed or that should be broken. Um, at the same time, like where, where, how do I accommodate that? You know, do I, I just have to recognize, like, you know, I think about Hilda. She's downstairs right now. But I, mean, I think about Hilda because she did that the other night. She took off after a deer. And I was just like, um, good luck. It's <laughs> you know? like, uh, what am I going to do? She, she is like a wolf and she just took off at like 40 miles an hour. Um, anyway, uh, so, um, all right, well, so the kind of transformation implied by the sun conjoining Pluto is it's kind of like nuclear. If the sun represents our daimon, our ambitions, that, that sense of uh, life purpose direction that we each have, then as it hits Pluto, it's going through, it, it's, it's as though we are like the shopkeepers who maybe find ourselves stuck. Maybe we find ourselves stagnant, bored, frustrated, uh, with respect to life purpose, with respect to ambitions and the sense of meaning that drives our life forward with great instinctual force, Pluto coming through can release tremendous energy and help us to um, realign with a sense of purpose because suddenly, you know, that same instinctual power that sends a, a dog after a deer has us moving after the objects of our desires, our fantasies, the imagination and its ability to propel us forward toward things we want to do or become is released in the same way that the, the dog uh, is. And by the way, people are going to be like, why didn't you have your dog on the leash? Late at night, the last thing I do before I go is I take the dog out to a dog run that's fenced in in our yard. And there's like a 10 yard walk from my front door to this little dog run that's like uh, fenced in. And um, so never have it's so late there's no dogs out there's no people out so I'm, i just take her off leash for that 10 yard walk and she always just follows me right there well there was a deer standing across the street so lesson learned but anyway just so those of you who are people who think about such things do not come after me all right number two is the transformation of capricorn listen to this so capricorn one of the things i bet you that this will be news to some of you <clears throat> So the sea goat, the mythology of the sea goat, this is uh, really fascinating. So let's see here. Mm -hmm. In the sign of cancer, the crab is emerging from the water. And in Capricorn, the goat, half goat or land animal, half fish or sea animal is in the water. So to escape explains originally meant to throw off the cowl formed from X and latte Latin kappa. And he supplies these relatives of Latin kappa, cap, cape, caparison, cape line, uh, <laughs> cappuccino. Anyway, it goes on. Um, so escape and kepi, a peaked cap worn by soldiers. Anyway, it goes on to describe how the etymology of the word Capricorn throughout history has this association with moving from something bound to something liberated, uh, as in escaping some kind of condition. And goats were known as famous escape artists in, uh, in, um, on farms. So there's 
a lot of interesting etymological evidence that there was an association with Capricorn and the desire to escape one condition and move up or out from uh, some kind of base or entangled condition, as in from water to land or from the base of a mountain to the top of a mountain uh, or from an enclosure out of an enclosure. Now, there's further evidence that this was what ancient um, astrologers were thinking about, at, at least in part with the constellational piece because the, um, here it is. Well, there's so many interesting things. I'll tell you which uh, website you can look at this on anyway. But the other part of Capricorn is that it was called the gateway of the gods, whereas cancer was called the gateway of mankind. And whereas in the gateway of cancer, the sun in its uh, ecliptic and the arc in the sky is moving from the top downward, a descent from the top down that was associated with the moon and the descent of spirit into a body as in coming into a body through the mother and being born into the material world from spirit into matter. But from Capricorn, there's a, a desire to escape the material world, which is why it was called the gateway of the gods. And it was associated with the, the desire of the spirit to escape from the body. And there was this association with goats who climbed up and were like escape artists. I think this is really fascinating because the other thing that um, is associated with Capricorn is uh, that the earlier part of Capricorn was associated with the um, with Venus and entanglements in the world. Think, for example, in this sense of Capricorn, the earlier part of Capricorn is being associated with like uh, the devil card in the tarot. Uh, tarot. I keep saying tarot. I think it's tarot and I just, I just like can't get it through my brain anyway. Uh, unless I'm wrong about that. Let me, let me know. Uh, so the earlier part of Capricorn was associated with worldly desire and the, not so much the desire to escape as much as the desire to, um, satiate and goats were associated broadly speaking with, um, Oh, what's the word that I'm thinking of? What well, with with pan and basically like horniness, horny as a goat. So th there's this like very instinctual, impulsive, kind of entangled, worldly, materialistic side of Capricorn that seeks its escape through worldly achievement or worldly obtainment of desires. Uh, goats, you know, are. Um, somewhat hierarchical in the way that they live. And so there's this kind of natural, instinctual, hierarchical desire to achieve, accomplish, but in service of the senses. So there's a strong kind of orientation around Venusian desires in the early part of Capricorn that ancient astrologers had that was associated with the fish, um, the, the fish part of uh, Capricorn. And then called the gateway of the gods, there's also this implication that Capricorn is overcoming some of those sort of worldly entanglements like the devil card and moving into a space of transcendence as in the gateway of the gods where the spirit departs from the body, moving toward the realm of the gods or the constellations or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. I think all of that is um, really, really fascinating because, um, yes, here we go. Moving down, I'm just trying to pick up one quote that I had in here, but do do, where is it? Oh gosh, I'm I, you know what I I I'm thinking I'm just gonna end up sitting here forever. 
Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Hence, this is from Manilius. Hence comes a restless quality in their lives and a mind which is often changed and floats away this way and that. The first half of the sign is the slave of Venus and that with guilt involved, but a more virtuous old age is promised. So again, the idea is that there's something Capricorn has to overcome, some kind of corrosive um, attachments to the, the world and its hierarchies and especially like sensual gratification. It's, it's a powerful image. Um, so what does it mean that we have this Sun-Pluto conjunction happening at the last degree, at the last minute of the last degree of Capricorn? It points to the space of transcendence. It points toward the final accumulated step uh, from Capricorn into Aquarius, which is a very interesting similarly ruled sign. It's both, they're both ruled by Saturn, but we move into totally different space in Aquarius compared to Capricorn. And the idea here is that this conjunction of the sun and Pluto represent this kind of powerful creative release of energy that can refine and, and, and direct our sense of life purpose and direction. But it does so with the sense of having disentangled ourselves from something or having carried a cross for a very long period of time and having been weighed down by that cross. Have we fallen beneath the weight of it? Have we... Um, have we succumbed to the the, the sort of temptations and the entrapment of the uh, the the kind of most base parts of our animal nature, or have we taken them, refined them? Have we? Has there been some kind of alchemy that's taken place such that we're ready to transition and leave an entire era behind us? That's that's a that's a profound moment, really, and that's indicated by the 29th degree and 59th minute of the sign. Um, so I, I think it's interesting to look at that from the standpoint of the topics of the house that Pluto has been transiting through in your birth chart, um, because those topics are probably relevant, relevant to understanding what kind of accumulated process you've been through, what kind of alchemical transformation has taken place, what cross you've been carrying, what the burdens have been, what the temptation and entanglements have looked like, uh, and also what's ready to be, um, what is ready? Where are you ready to transcend, to move above or to move beyond, to have climbed up to the top of some kind of mountain personally? Um, and not so much materially, but but spiritually speaking. All right. So number three, another thing to pay attention to is that uh, we go from the earthy burdens and alchemical transformations of Capricorn, moving from base to elevated or uh, a process of transmuting, alchemizing, and uh, lifting something up from down low. That's the start of the sun at the darkest point of the year starting to move up. Um, how have we transcended over a long period of time? That's a great question that we kind of just covered. But then we move into Aquarius and the question might be about how do I create some space and distance? This is a fixed or solid air sign that correlates to Saturn in the sense that Saturn has that uh, rulership over things that are vast and spacious. Saturn is the last, dimmest, most distant planet. And Dante, for example, and many other um, astrological philosophers uh, over time have associated Saturn with contemplatives, meaning people who need space, people who need distance, 
people who like perspective, people who like to have a kind of a, a degree of control and, and space in which to move about and contemplate, to move around something, to think around something, to spend time uh, moving through ideas with care. So that kind of contemplative journey, it's interesting because Capricorn's not so contemplative like that. The, the, the idea of Saturn in Capricorn has more to do with the slow march from worldliness to transcendence or from carrying something through duty and obligation that's heavy and earthbound and that's alchemically powerful and transformative. It works on our nature. It works on helping us look at and integrate the shadows of our earthly desires and also the the it's like there's an impulse to to kind of um move upward in capricorn that we are also learning to transform from one that is purely material into something that's spiritual so those dualities in capricorn have so much to do with a a great work a magnum opus like that when we get to aquarius there's a, there's a, it's like rare air it, it, you're you're in a totally different stratosphere and one of the impulses that we might be looking at coming up this month next month is i need space one of the things that i think about all the time with this uh particular sign and i've told you guys this before is the uh story of the lord of the rings and one of the things that happens is a very capricornian story of course tolkien was born capricorn's son in the fifth house of creativity and so we we have uh some interesting ways in which the entire middle earth is very Capricornian. Um, Frodo has to carry the ring all the way to Mordor and cast it into the fire. And it is a, an incredible adventure. And he's, he is weighed down. It's a journey of transcendence, but what does he have to carry from start to finish? He has to carry the weight of worldly power of worldly desire. In a sense, Sauron is the darkness of Capricorn. It's, the, it's the, the dark lord, the one who wants to hold and possess everything of power and substance uh, in the material world. Frodo has to carry that the emblem of that power, not be corrupted by it, and cast it into the fire, which is the ultimate 2959 of Capricorn. What happens to him afterward? He can't go back to normal village life in the Shire. He tries. But at the end of the day, he has to take the boat with the elves and go off to the kingdom of the elves, which is a space for healing. It is a space for distance from the world because he'll always bear the sting of what he had to carry in the world. And so he needs a kind of Aquarian elven country to sail off to for the purpose of healing. Bilbo goes as well because Bilbo also carried the ring. So the, it's funny because the elves go back and forth between whether or not they ought to engage with the world and help human beings or sail off to their realm where there's no problems. There's space. It's a kind of angelic Aquarian realm. Remember Ganymede, the main, uh, the, the, the figure in the constellation of Aquarius is associated with the kind of angelic potential of humanity that Zeus takes and abducts and pulls up and there's all sorts of complications in that story that are interesting. We've done a lot talking about that story before, but it's a kind of angelic space. It's closer to the realm of the gods. And that is precisely where Frodo needs to go. Bilbo needs to go after having carried the ring because 
there's a way in which you can't ever really be in the world fully again or sort of unconsciously. That consciousness is painful. That consciousness is like the residue of a poison that you had to extract from your system. So as Pluto and the sun enter Aquarius, we may find that in some area of our life, we need to create space. We need to create a spacious elven kingdom that we're now ready to sail into. Now, there's all sorts of problems with that world. And there's all sorts of uh, lessons to be learned and a whole new adventure to be had in that world. But at the very least, in the beginning, it offers itself to us as a space in which to contemplate. Dante allocated the seventh sphere of heaven to Saturn. Saturn as the realm of contemplatives who studied and prayed in quiet, who walked about in the gardens of the monastery in uh, contemplation of the divine and like that. There's an elven, and I'm not saying you have to move into a monastery, but there's a space that needs to open up for healing and a, a shift or a reorientation of paradigm that may require that you learn to live in the world, but with some kind of critical distance from it. And that's the healing space that might be opening up right now. Number four, did you know that Aquarius was associated with the transference of water from below the earth up into the sky, such as fountains or uh, artesian wells? This is fascinating because it really speaks to one of the earliest ways of understanding technology, which has to do with the um, somehow being able to harness something that is in instinctual that is um, natural but inaccessible to us by normal means or measures. We have to build aquifers and pipes and um, we have to, you know, it's a kind of magic that we have to perform to, to move water from beneath the earth up into the sky, up into faucets. Now that alone is just a fascinating part of, of thinking about Aquarius and Aquarius's relationship with um, technology. because. Essentially, it's sort of the same. We're, we're just thinking about moving natural energies and forces uh, in ways that um, can bring us into contact with those forces and be able to use them or manipulate them. Uh, there's all sorts of problems that go along with that, as we know, since we're having major conversations all around the planet right now about the intersection between technology and earthly stewardship. Nonetheless, if we take it metaphorically, Water from below transported into the sky means that we're learning how to tap into a different kinds of resources, making different kinds of things available to us, different powers and energies because of innovative thinking and new kinds of technologies, intellectually, mentally, spiritually, that can tap us into different energy sources and move them around uh, for the sake of healing, for the sake of growth, for the sake of space, for the sake of, um, you know, improved relationships or uh, more creative alignment in your work. So you, you just think about Pluto, especially being a planet that taps into those natural energies like the Shakti released from the earth during an earthquake. That's Plutonian. And now we have it in Aquarius, which suggests that uh, just like the ancients said that Aquarius was a sign that related to the ability to divine where water was and then move it from beneath the earth into the sky, as in a fountain or an artesian well, that we can do similar things with energies and deep uh, kind of um, natural forces that we're learning to 
move or harness in ways that are very powerful. And that that's a metaphor that can it can it can be you know societal in terms of big technologies that are coming forth and so on. But it, it's also very personal. It's about harnessing new energies that can do things for us that create some healing distance and space. You think we we got into Aquarius. Uh, part of what part of the reason that we need Aquarius is because we need some of the healing space uh, from having carried such heavy things in Capricorn, from having moved from a base state to a higher state, so to speak, uh, in order to um, move into a new age, a new paradigm, a new time in life. We're going to need new ways of relating to energy and new ways of moving it around in our life. Uh, so that we have um, more space, more flow. So you just think about that. You think about there being some ability with the sun and Pluto moving into Aquarius that says there's a different way of utilizing energy. There's a different way of moving it. There's a different way of relating to it that can contribute to having more spaciousness, more healing, more flow. All right. Number five, Aquarius was also related to the power of waters to inundate as in the flooding of the Nile that was a, a major part of the cycles of fertility. You know, so it's a very fertile sign that has a history of being associated with um, the power of water to, to um, fertilize and grow things and to, to harness that water is powerful, like a dam and the energy that comes from a dam or et cetera. But on the other hand, Aquarius was also associated with the devastation of waters that would significantly alter the course of uh, a human civilization, as in the myths of the Great Flood and the Ark, which is not unique to, to the Judeo-Christian uh, mythology. At times, the earth floods, and in order to survive, we have to design vessels or structures that can carry and perpetuate life. It's as though nature comes along from time to time and forces us to rebuild and rethink. We get flooded, and then we need to build a structure, an ark. And there's also this sort of instruction that the ark needs to carry the life, the animals, in addition to the humans, that life itself, natural life, human life. And not a mistake, of course, that the zodiac is, uh, you know, lots of different images exist in the zodiac, human and animal. And so, there's something here about the intersection between human meaning, human life, human technology, and animal life. And the intersection between technology and natural power, it's, it's a really deep conversation and one that we'll have to, I mean, in a sense, there is a way in which we could get flooded. Natural energies can release themselves and we have to adapt and cope and design and redesign and shift as a way of building structures that better facilitate and host our life and life around us. And we have to do that because a volcano erupts, a flood happens, a earthquake occurs. And, and then there's a response, an innovative response. There's even a, a hinting at prophecy, like knowing that things are coming, how can you redesign your life uh, to be a better vessel? Right? How can you redirect energy? How can you build a, a fountain to you know, a, tap into a well? It's these kinds of questions that we, we almost think about, we have to think about in advance too, as we sense where the, sh the plates are starting to shift. So anyway, another really important Aquarian motif is the need to design 
architect uh, better structures for life, can't ignore the life um, because there are natural energies being released. So anyway, kind of a sprawling meditation today, uh, a lot of different things, but I hope that um, it helps you to meditate upon some of the archetypal energies in the air right now and um, to uh, facilitate and working with them as these powerful transits come in through the weekend. We're going to look more at these as the week goes on. That's it for today. Uh, don't forget, check out the masterclass series, which begins on Friday. You can find that on the website, nightlightastrology.com. Need-based tuition is available for all of our courses that just began this month. Check that out. Feel free to join us. We'd love to see you there. All right, take it easy.